Good morning again. It's a question I want you to think about. It's, we will think about the one on the screen, who is Jesus? But the question I want you to think about is about your perspective. What's your perspective on how things are going in the world right now? Are things getting better or are things getting worse? So just th- think about that. I know for myself, it's very easy for me to focus on how things are getting worse in the world. I know there's inflation and prices seem to be rising all the time. Things double, triple what they cost even just a year ago. There's war around the world affecting people we know or uh, people we care about. There's political tension here in this country. Weather always seems to do weird things. Morals in the country seem to be getting worse, but that's what I think. But what does Jesus think about what is happening in the world? The past few weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been seeking to answer this question, who is Jesus? And to answer that, we're also looking at what is Jesus like? What does he care about? What what does he think about? What does he think is important? And one thing we've seen that Jesus is very passionate about is his kingdom, his kingdom, this community that he is building on earth. He says very early in Mark's gospel, in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, his friend, his cousin John the Baptist was arrested and Jesus came into Galilee. He proclaimed the gospel, the good news of God, and he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he called people to repent, to turn and believe in the gospel. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to talk more about that kingdom. We're going to look at how Jesus described the power and the growth of that kingdom. And what we may find is that our pessimism we sometimes have about the world around us sometimes stands in contrast with Jesus's kingdom reality. Because his kingdom reveals truth and it provokes a response in everyone who hears it. And his kingdom is growing more and more every day. We're going to see that truth and why it matters to us through a handful of parables Jesus is going to share. Pastor Tom spoke last week, introduced parables to us. They're analogies, stories that are used to convince and persuade. They're memorable and convicting illustrations that help us grasp spiritual truth. So let's look at how Jesus uses them in our passage today. If you're not already there, please turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, we're in verses 21 through 34. Feel free also, you could use that blue Bible in the seat back in front of you, or the words will also be up on the screen. But once you are there, Mark 4, starting verse 21 through verse 34, and if you are able, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word, and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. So this is Mark chapter 4, starting verse 21. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 21 begins with Jesus talking. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Verse 30, And he said, With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Verse 33 tells us, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we've been able to gather to worship you, and thank you for this time now that we open your word and hear from your Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to learn what he says about his kingdom. Help us to learn, God, that this is a kingdom that reveals truth, reveals what is hidden in our hearts, and so provokes, demands a response. May we respond by clinging toward you, by coming to know you. And God, thank you for the encouragement that this is a kingdom that grows. It may be slow, may be hard to see, but it continues to grow and expand. God, may that confidence in what you are doing Give us the knowledge to live for you, to depend on you. Give us your wisdom now to see these truths in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in these parables, we're going to see two truths about Jesus' kingdom that he is bringing. This kingdom, this new reign and rule, this people he has on earth. The first truth we're going to see is that Jesus' kingdom reveals truth. Jesus' kingdom reveals truth and it provokes a response. Jesus' kingdom reveals truth and provokes a response. And this is continuing what Jesus has been talking about. Again, Pastor Tom was sharing last week from the first 20 verses in chapter 4, where Jesus shared a parable that talked about different responses to the gospel, the good news. It was an encouragement to us to give the good news of God to all kinds of people, even if they respond very differently. And that theme of responding to the gospel continues in this section as Jesus presents his kingdom as a revealing light. He first, in verses 21 and 22, reminds his audience, we don't put a light or a lamp under a basket or a bowl or a bed. When a light shines, what is hidden is manifested, it's disclosed, it's revealed by the light. And what is secret and concealed is brought out into the open. Look at verses 21 and 22. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden 
except to be made manifest. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything secret except that eventually it comes to light. This image Jesus uses of having a light and how foolish it is to put it under a basket, uh, um, my mind always goes to kind of the old King James language, a bushel, put it under a bushel. That's a common image used by Jesus of having this light and, and hiding it. Elsewhere, when he talks about it, the light stands for the good news or our faith, but here he's relating it to himself, me, Jesus Christ, the one representing this kingdom. It's foolish to try to hide what I'm doing. He calls himself the light other places in Scripture. In John 8, he speaks to the crowds and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus reveals God. He reveals this kingdom God is building on earth. The light of the world reveals light and reveals truth. He enlightens our minds. He pushes the darkness of sin away. It's his nature to do that. And so Jesus is saying, it's foolish to try to deny that I am bringing light into the world. It's foolish to try to hide what I am doing. My kingdom light will shine through. After all, his image even makes sense to us. If you're decorating a room or setting up the furniture, you wouldn't take a lamp and put it behind a couch next to the wall. That, that's foolish. Then the light doesn't spread around the room. We want as much light as possible. And this is especially important in Jesus's day. I even have a, a little picture there because they would have had small oil lamps. So it would be even more foolish to put it under a basket or under a bed. They would want to get it up high so that light could shine around the room. They didn't want to hide it. I hope this is an obvious truth, is that light is supposed to shine, not be hidden. Even my 15-month-old daughter understands this. We've been singing to her sometimes the, the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. And she's even learned, even though she speaks very few words, when Daddy says, hide it under a bushel, she goes, no! So she knows that. She may not know a lot of words, but she understands. You don't hide a light under a bushel. You let it shine. So what's the point Jesus is making? His work, his life will have results. People will see what he is doing. It will make a difference. You can't just sit and passively receive Jesus and his truth like it just washes over you and nothing else happens. No, his truth must do something in our lives. And what does it do? Well, he tells us the truth reveals what is hidden in us. It reveals the secrets of our heart, where our hearts are hard, where they're captivated by sin. Jesus' word exposes that and points us closer toward him. Jesus would speak about this elsewhere. In Luke chapter 12, he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You cannot hide anything from God. Who you are, what you think, what you do, God knows all of it. Christ's kingdom brings it to light. All the darkness that is in us is exposed by the light of our Lord and Savior. Our Heavenly Father sees it. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4.13, we read that no creature is hidden from God's sight. All are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So Jesus' words here in Mark are a challenge to us. We need to listen to what he's saying. With the sin in our life, we need to repent, turn away from it before it is all exposed and revealed. 
That's why he uses this phrase in verse 23, a phrase he repeats often to pay careful attention to his words. Look at 23. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like he's saying, pay attention to this. Think about what I have said, because hearing God's word is key to eternal life. That's why here at East Shore, we spend so much time talking about God's word. We have classes that talk about God's word. That's why we preach the Bible here, because we believe hearing God's word is key to how God works in us to turn us from sin and turn us toward him. In the next verses, 24 and 25, Jesus continues this discussion about how we respond to this kingdom. He again opens with a call to pay attention, take heed, take care. And he says the greater measure that we use in hearing what he's saying, the closer we listen to him, the more we receive from him. Look at 24 and 25. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. What he's saying is that God blesses us according to how we respond to his word and his truth. If we hear what God is saying and we give God our attention, say, yes, God, I'm listening to you. I want to respond to you. Then we get back his blessing, his favor, like a boomerang to God. God, I'm trusting in you. And he blesses us. I'm I'm not talking about money or finances. I'm talking about his presence with us and our understanding of him. If we hear and embrace Jesus's kingdom message, it will lead to us receiving more of God because his Holy Spirit dwells in us and he helps us to understand God more and more. If we know him, then we have the Holy Spirit and we can grow to know God more. If we receive Jesus's message, if we welcome his rule, then that growth is possible. We understand who God is. We learn what he is like, and we learn the difference that that can make in our lives. The book of Proverbs, Proverbs 9.9, tells us if you give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. If you teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. God seeks those hearts, not those who say, I've got everything figured out, I don't need to learn anymore, but those who are hungry to know more of God. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he uses the idea of a veil being lifted. We were obscured, it was dark, but then, by knowing Jesus, I understand his word more. I can see the world around me more clearly. And what I'll find is the world may not fit into my categories. What people say is good and bad, it may look different to me when I look at it through God's eyes. It will challenge how I understand the world around me, and it will help me to understand what God is doing to not fall into despair or hopelessness, but see, oh, God is doing something here in this world to give me a reason to hope and trust in him. The more we grow to know God, the more we have that personal relationship with him, that blessing. But on the other hand, if we try to make it through life without God, then we end up losing everything. Look at verse 25. He says, to the one who has, the one who knows me, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Ignoring Jesus only leads to loss. Maybe you're thinking, well, what what is the point of all this? How does this impact me? The point is, Jesus has presented himself before you, said, this is who I am, this is my kingdom. How will you respond to that? If you think, you know, 
okay, Pastor, well, whatever you say, I've got other things going on in my life. Jesus is saying here that attitude leads to loss. Because if you reject Jesus in this life, you also spend all eternity without God. This instruction that he gives about losing even the little you have, it's similar to another parable that he tells. In that story, there's an unfaithful servant who God has given, the master has given a, a talent, some resources to, but he doesn't use it at all. He puts it to the side, and the master is upset that he did not use the little bit of light that he gave him, and he makes that man give it to somebody who already has more. And Jesus' conclusion in that parable is in Luke 19, 26. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, this isn't about money. It's about the knowledge of God. Do we know him? Do we respond to him? To help us see this, I'm going to jump to the last couple verses that we read, the verses at the end, because they explore more of this dynamic of how we respond to Jesus' words. Look at verses 33 and 34. He says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So the author's Mark, he's telling us that these parables Jesus is giving, they're examples of the kinds of things he would share. This isn't necessarily one full sermon. It's these are the kinds of stories he told as he taught people throughout Galilee and that region of ancient Israel. He spoke God's word and his truth to the crowds by regularly teaching in parables. It's not that he never spoke to somebody and it wasn't a parable. It's the idea that that was his primary focus. He used these stories to warn his audience about the dangers of not being a part of his kingdom. And he tells us in verse 33 that they listened as they were able, and they kept listening if they came to understand his truth. Those whose hearts were changed by his, world, by his words, they responded. They heard what he was saying, and they responded to his truth. But those who didn't were hardened. So when he taught publicly, he almost always used these parables, and we were already told the reason why he did this. Pastor Tom shared this last week, but back in verses 11 and 12, his disciples ask why he's sharing things in parables, and Jesus says to them, to you, my disciples, my followers, my friends, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in these stories, these parables, so that, and here he quotes the Old Testament, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. If they did not respond to his truth, they were further hardened. But privately, Jesus explained what he was saying to his disciples. He revealed God's truth to his people. And so that's the question for each of us. Are we a part of God's people? Are we one of those that know God through Jesus Christ, that know the secret to his kingdom, that the answer is found in Jesus? Because his kingdom reveals truth. It reveals who he is and who we are. It demands a response. So what is your response? How do you respond to the good news of this kingdom? Again, think of that picture of the light. You cannot hide who Jesus is. You cannot hide what his truth means for your life. He sees you and he knows everything about you. That thing you've never told anybody else, God 
knows that. That wrong thing you did that you hope nobody else finds out about, God knows about it. And he still offers hope for you. Your sin, that wrong that you did, it can be forgiven through the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we sang, he's the Lamb of God who died to take away our sin. Jesus came to earth, he lived and did everything right all the time and died so that we could know God. That's the truth of the kingdom that he shares and reveals. And that truth either condemns you to eternal separation and suffering because you say, I don't need that, I don't want that, or that truth leads you to eternal life. And you say, you know, I I do need that. I can't do it on my own. I need what Jesus did for me. This question, what is your response to who Jesus is and what he says? That's an incredibly important question. It's the most important question. Your eternity is at stake about how you answer. You've heard that truth now. You've seen it here in God's word. What will you do with it? The British pastor Charles Spurgeon says, the mere hearer looks at Jesus with some interest. Yeah, Jesus, he's pretty cool. I'm, I'm here in a church today. There's something about Jesus that's cool. But he says, but to the poor, hungry sinner, Jesus Christ is everything. If you're interested in Jesus, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're here today. But that doesn't make a difference in your eternity. Are you hungry for him? Do you see that he offers the only hope for your future. And if you see that, then call out to him. Talk to me, talk to somebody else afterwards about how can I know him more? How can I know Jesus Christ? What is your response to his kingdom? I hope you'll see that his kingdom is one worth joining and being a part of. Not only because it reveals truth, it's our only hope, but also the second truth in our passage is that Jesus's kingdom is growing Jesus' kingdom is growing. We kind of read the beginning and the end. In the middle of our passage today are two parables that talk about how Jesus' kingdom grows. The first parable runs from verses 26 through 29. It describes how God's kingdom grows like grain popping out of the earth. It's a unique parable in the Gospel of Mark. This is the only place we find it. It emphasizes the power of the seed, the word of God, in the Gospel. Look at verses 26 and 27. And he, Jesus again, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. Now, when it says that, don't read too much into that. You may say, Pastor John, we live in the 21st century. Plenty of scientists know how seeds go in the ground. I remember science class seeing the pictures of how the seed grows. I know how it works. Yes, yes, we know scientifically how things grow. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying it's impossible to predict exactly how a crop will perform. We can know a lot, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. The Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes speaks to the same truth. The author says, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, at evening withhold not your hand, don't stop, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. There's a lot we can do to try to make our life go a certain way, but we don't know what's going to happen. 
And in the same way, we don't know how people will respond to the truth of God's word. If we share about Jesus, we don't know what they're going to do. But God continues to do his work. Again, Pastor Spurgeon says, we can introduce the truth of God to men, but that truth, the Lord himself, must bless. The living and growing of the word within the soul is the operation of God alone. We share God is the one who grows his kingdom in the hearts of men and women. And don't worry, because that growth does happen. It may be slow. It may be hard to notice at first. There may be very difficult circumstances, but it does grow, and then it becomes obvious. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. First the the blade, the stalk starts to come up. Then we see the, the head or the ear of grain. And then finally, the full mature grain. And the author points out, this isn't somebody one person's doing to kind of drag it out of the ground. This happens by itself. It happens automatically. It says by itself right here, God's word grows his kingdom. God is the one who grows his truth in people's hearts. And so he's the one who gets the credit for it. Paul says this very famously in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's speaking about this church that he poured a lot of time into. And he says, I planted. There was another guy, Apollos, who watered, but God gave the growth. And his conclusion is, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Jesus' kingdom is built by God's slow growth. Let me explain why this is important, because this was very challenging to hear in Jesus' day. When Jesus is speaking to this audience, probably mostly if not exclusively Jewish audience, they were expecting this kingdom, this rule of God, this Messiah to come all at once. They expected this conquering hero to come down and boom, set up his kingdom. They expected a political savior who would kick out the oppressive government of the Romans, that who would right all wrongs in one fell swoop, everything be made right. That's what they were expecting. Instead, Jesus says, no, God's kingdom is like a seed planted that slowly grows. And I wonder if today, many followers of God struggle with the the same issue. We long for Christ's return, and absolutely we should, but in that we miss how God is growing his kingdom right now. They say, God, I want you to come right now, end all of this, finish it. But we miss what God is doing, his slow work of building his word in the hearts, in the minds of his people. He brings his grace into rebellious hearts in every corner of the globe. People hear his truth. They come to know him. And that slow growth of his kingdom calls for a response of patience and trust. We're impatient people, but his work is slow, deliberate, and purposeful. He says in James 5, verses 7 and 8, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He turns to that farm analogy. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
we continue our work of gathering together, praising Him. We continue our work of telling others the good news of Christ. But God Himself is responsible for His kingdom growth. We faithfully share the truth, and we do not have to worry about how God will use our words. Oh, I could have said that better or this better. Okay, take that lesson, but God will take care of the growth. He will take care of his kingdom. We must be patient and trust in him. Another British pastor, J.C. Ryle, said, our principal work is to sow the seed, and that done, we may wait with faith and patience for the result. Here he's paraphrasing verse 27 from our passage and says, we may sleep and rise night and day and leave our work with the Lord. He alone can, and if he thinks fit, he will give success. So that means that the people in our lives, maybe one person may take a long time to come to faith. Maybe it starts slow and then it grows in their life. Their spiritual growth takes a while. It's slow, deliberate. But if the faith is genuine, God's work continues. And it continues until at Christ's return, this kingdom growth is complete and it results in a great harvest. And when that time comes that only God knows, then at once, immediately, the harvest comes. This is verse 29, speaks to this. When the grain is ripe, at once he, the farmer, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This imagery he uses of a, a sickle or a harvest, it's a very common phrase in, Bible, in the Bible to speak about God's judgment in the world, particularly his final judgment. The prophet Joel has, shares God's words about it, Joel 3, 12 and 13. God says, there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. What does that look like? He says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, the winepress is full, the vats overflow. In this case, he's talking about those, that their evil is great. Other places of the Bible use this. Jesus does. The book of Revelation uses it to talk about how God will separate his good crop of wheat from deceptive weeds. Friends, when the earth is ready according to God's timing and his purposes, Jesus will return. And in the meantime, God's not sleeping. He continues to. He always acts to grow believers, and he acts according to his timing, his purpose. This happens on a broad sense as people grow, but also it's true in each individual person. I was really moved and encouraged by uh, J.C. Ryle's reflection on this as it relates to individual people. He speaks of God and says, He will never remove His people from this world till they are ripe and ready. He never takes them away till their work is done. They never die at the wrong time. And he acknowledges, however mysterious their deaths appear sometimes to man, it doesn't make sense to us. But he says, The great husbandman, that great farmer, never cuts his corn till it is ripe. God has his purpose. He's continuing to grow his people, and he does it in his timing for his kingdom. He is surely building that kingdom. And the way we can see that growth is in the next parable where he talks about how this kingdom grows, the size that it will reach. This parable in verses 30 through 32 is similar. It's another picture, illustration of kingdom growth, but this one emphasizes how the kingdom starts small, unnoticed and humble, but then grows into something great. Look at verses 30 through 32. He, Jesus, said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, 
which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. This seed he speaks about, this mustard seed, it would have been the smallest agricultural seed in that part of the world in Jesus' day. Again, don't read too much more into his words. He's not saying there's never ever a seed smaller than this. He's saying that his people would know at that time this is the smallest seed that they could think of. But it would grow into, again, in that part of the world, the biggest garden plant in the area. This little seed, it's not necessarily a tree, it's more like a bush, but it could grow into a three foot by 12 foot bush, this huge bush that would provide branches that look like a tree that birds would come and nest in. I don't remember 100% where I got this. So if you do, and you remember, you can remind me later, but it doesn't matter. But at one point, someone here at church gave me a jar that has mustard seeds in it. It's in reference to another passage of scripture. There's one on here, but Jesus is using the same image here. And if you can see, I know it's really small. That's the point. It's a little jar. It's about two inches tall. And there are easily well over a hundred, if not 200 mustard seeds in this little jar. That's what he's referring to. These tiny seeds grow into this massive plant. And like a mustard seed, God's kingdom has very small beginnings But through gradual growth, it leads to a great and remarkable result. And the way he illustrates that result is by even using his little example here. He speaks about the birds of the air make nest in its shade. Some people debate about what that means, but I think the strongest argument is it's a reference to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel gives a promise about God's kingdom. Here's God speaking. He says, thus says the Lord God, he's going to take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar. He's going to take part of his people. He's going to set it out. He's going to break off the topmost of its young twigs as a tender one. And God says, I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, that it may bear branches, produce fruit, become a noble cedar. And look what his sign is that that this will work. Under it will dwell every kind of bird, In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. How we know that this is successful is that so many different kinds of birds, creatures, come under the shade of this truth. In our passage, Jesus is using this image to say that prophecy is going to be fulfilled by my kingdom. It means all kinds of different people, Jews, Gentiles, people from all nations and people groups will join my kingdom. And this is what happened to the movement he started. This Christian faith started with just a few group of disciples, but it grew to become the largest in the world. It really started with a helpless baby lying in a manger whose birth we celebrate here at Christmas time. And when he grew up, he gathered a small group of mostly poor, uneducated disciples, and he gave them a message about his death that he died, that they had to go and tell people, there's this great leader you should follow, he died. He also rose again, but you can't see him, he's not here anymore. I, I know, I'm not trying to be flippant with the truth of the Bible, but just think about it, that, that's a hard ask of people to uh, understand, embrace, accept that someone died and then rose again. In many ways, that's a crazy message, but that's the truth of our faith, and that was the faith that grew and grew and grew and grew, and that is still 
growing. That's the kingdom that's already here and is still growing to its full realization. What will that kingdom look like? Where is it growing to? What will it become? Pastor Tom shared this verse last week. The prophet Habakkuk tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So friends, no matter how small one individual church may look, no matter how small even our church may look, we are a part of this kingdom growth. A gathering of five believers or 5,000 is a visible expression of that growing kingdom. And if we embrace that reality, that should crush our tendency to pessimism or hopelessness about the world around us. Now, let me be clear. I'm not denying that there's hardship and struggle in the world. I'm not denying that things are difficult. I'm not denying that, that things have changed, that we live in a confusing time, a tense time in world history. Yes, Christianity's cultural influence in America is fading, but Jesus says, my kingdom continues to grow. Yes, you could be cynical and say, well, some of that growth is unhealthy. Sure, but that's an opportunity for God's people to make a difference in the global body of those who know him. That's good news. That's where our focus should be. And you may hear you're saying, you're you're just being an optimist, Pastor John. No, no, I'm not. I'm resting in Christ's promise in his word. Optimism is hope about things when you don't know how it's going to work out. I'm saying Jesus says his kingdom will grow and grow. That is where my hope is. And if we take the time to look, especially if we expand our focus beyond our own cultural boundaries, we can see that growth happening. I've seen surveys that talk about how, on the whole, the most of the world is becoming more religious rather than less religious, more growth of his church is happening, particularly in places like Africa, Asia, and South America. That's where the future of the church is, and Jesus says it will be a glorious future. Now, it's still okay to be sad about changes happening in our context. It's okay to mourn that there's sin in our area, that people suffer, that there's a cultural loss. It's okay okay to mourn that, to, to even think about how can we work to change that. That's okay to think about but we do so from a position of hope, not despair. Jesus, after all, he's sharing this parable. He just has 12 disciples, and one of them is going to betray him. But yet he says this will become a kingdom that will grow, and all kinds will rest under its shade. If he had that hope, so should we. His, his, at this point, hidden kingdom has a gradual, glorious growth. And again, what is that going to look like in the end? Well, we read this verse just before we started the sermon. The Revelation 7, 9, and 10. This is one of his disciples, John. It's a vision. He sees what the end is going to be like, and this is what he sees. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. This group of people, they stand before God's throne, before the Lamb Jesus Christ. They've been clothed in white robes. They have palm branches of worship in their hands, and they cry out, salvation belongs to our God. They all know the same God who sits on the throne and to our Lamb Jesus Christ. And that vision, that picture, that's what has motivated God's people to share his word since the dawning of 
the church age that Jesus speaks about here. Since Jesus was here, that has been the vision that has motivated his people. The truth, the reality that there will be at least one person from every people group in every corner of the world who comes to worship our Lord and Savior. So if that's true, and Christ says it is true, then what, what's our role in that? Or make it personal. What is my role in that kingdom growth? What, what do I do if that's what's going to happen with God's kingdom? Well, let me leave you with three points of application. Instead of worrying about what's happening in the world, well, what should we do? Well, one suggestion is to pray. Pray. Pray for more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pray for people you know, your friends, your relatives, acquaintances you have, or neighbors, absolutely. But also pray for different groups of people around the world. We try to help you with that in our prayer guide. We put an unreached people group of the day you can pray for. You can get an app or a calendar about that. There's other organizations, Operation World, or our own uh, Southern Baptist International Mission Board. They will help you learn how to pray for different people groups to come to know him. So pray for that growth. What's something else that we could do? Well, we could also give. We could give. We could support missionaries, those who share God's word in these far corners of the world, financially. We do that every week through what we call the cooperative program. Everything you give here to church, we send a portion of it to those who are sharing his word overseas. But as we saw in the video earlier today, particularly through our special offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that goes to support missionaries who are sharing his truth. And they need this support, not only financially in prayer and encouragement, because the work can be hard. Sometimes someone can be somewhere where there are no other believers and they can share for years, maybe even decades, without seeing much fruit. But God uses their faithfulness because as we've talked about, his kingdom grows slowly, but it does grow. Let me give you an example, one that my mind always goes to. One of the very first Baptist missionaries, American Baptist missionaries, was a man named Adoniram Judson. He was one of the earliest missionaries. He went to what was then called Burma. It's now the country of Myanmar. And he went there when there were no believers. He was there sharing, teaching, learning for seven years before the first person came to faith in Christ. And this was his reflection on that. He said, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain. We reap in Zion's hill. Now, if you don't know that word Zion, that, that's a reference to God's heavenly city, his kingdom. He's saying that even though things are hard and that like that, these parables here, like how we sow, we may sow in this place that seems barren, that people say no one will ever come to Jesus here, but we know that in God's kingdom, we will see fruit. A biography about him is one of the most encouraging, moving books I ever read in my life. I wish I could share more quotes, more things from it, but I encourage you to check out the book. It's called To the Golden Shore. It's a long, thick one, but if you want your soul to be stirred by someone's passion for the lost, it's a wonderful read. Judson and his family experienced suffering that few of us would ever know. But because of his faithfulness, even today, that country, Burma, Myanmar, it still has one of the largest historic Baptist populations of any country in the world. We don't think about it that way, but that is the work, the result of his faithfulness. And that work continues today through our own missionaries and the International Mission Board. You saw this earlier. Again, I'm, I'm 
I'm not getting paid for them. I'm talking about the, the scripture passage today. A way we encourage this growth is by giving to support that. Those making disciples where Jesus' name is not known. So we can give, but another way we can respond to this kingdom is we can share ourselves. We can share the good news of Christ ourselves. I thought about maybe a better word I could have used is go. Because maybe you're here and maybe God has been stirring your heart for people who have not heard of him, who do not know him. And maybe God is working in you to challenge you to, to go, to explore what it would look like for you to go somewhere and share Jesus with those who have never heard. But at the very least, if you're here, we have friends we know, we have family we know, there's neighbors, those around us. And we are told to take the time to share the good news that Jesus died to provide a way for them to know God, that he has a kingdom that reveals truth, exposes who we are, and calls us to respond toward him, and that that kingdom is growing, and you can be a part of it too. And we tell them that they can join us in praising and worshiping God because he alone is worthy of worship and praise.